Online. We are week, I think this is four in our resurrection series uh, journey. Our text today is going to be John 20. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you want to pull that up on your phone, we're going to be John 20 verses 19 to the end of the chapter, 19 to 31. A um, couple things for you while you're turning there. Uh, CSU, we honored CSU uh, graduates last week. Do we have any graduates here with their families this morning? Who have walked? Yes. Have you walked already? You've walked. And families here as well. I met some families from Seattle. Welcome to Two Rivers. We're glad you're here. Way to be an awesome college graduate. You did it. You did it. I got more laughs on that in the first service. Um, Second thing is we're going to honor our graduating high school seniors next Sunday. And if you haven't coordinated with Kenny, our student ministries director, about that yet, if you're a senior in high school or a parent, please connect with him as soon as possible. Uh, We're going to honor those graduates uh, next Sunday. And before we get to our text, let me remind you of where we have been (laughs) the last few weeks in this series and where we're headed in the next couple of weeks after this. Uh, We are looking at the appearances of Jesus post-resurrection, in between the resurrection of Christ and his ascension in Acts chapter 1. Uh, We have looked at the story, the beginning of John 20, Mary Magdalene. The next week, Jody Green spoke about all the other women that were there as well. And then last week, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Today, at the uh, end of John 20, we will cover the 10 assembled disciples in Jerusalem on Easter Sunday evening. And then the story of Thomas the next week after that. That will be what we will uh, work through together today. Uh, I will cover the seven disciples, uh, uh, Jesus appearing to them in the Sea of Galilee, where they were all from, and where uh, really most of Jesus' ministry happened in that region. Uh, And next week, and then Greg Hook, my friend, will kind of land the series Memorial Weekend on the Great Commission and the Ascension and Pentecost. So that's going to be... Uh, how we'll end. Um, let, let me just, I'm just going to start by uh, working through verse by verse this morning. And so John 20, uh, verse 19. Now, picking this up so that you are in the scene, we're picking this up right after Mary had come to the disciples proclaiming to them, Mary and the other women, proclaiming to them the empty tomb, the angel He is not here. Whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. And we talked about this last week in Luke 24. They they come with this testimony. And the disciples, uh, they found it. um, Oh, what's the word from Luke 24? They were, uh, is it in my notes here? It seemed like nonsense to them. Luke 24, 8. So in that place... We have this testimony, Jesus has just been crucified, it's three days later, they're in that place emotionally wondering, all these things are happening, and this is where Jesus um, interacts with them. On the evening of that first day of the week, Sunday, Easter Sunday, evening time, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I want to remind you of what Jesus had told the disciples three days prior on Thursday 
Last Supper discourse, Thursday before Good Friday. And he told the disciples, this is in John 14, I am not going to leave you as orphans. I am not going to leave you as orphans. I am coming back to you. Thursday. Now it's Friday. Regardless of that promise of Jesus, what is the predominant emotion of the disciples in the room? Fear. Palpable fear to the degree that we're trying to control our fear, because that's typically what humans do when we're afraid. We try to figure out a way to control it. So they lock the doors. Doors are locked. Predominant emotion of fear in the room. And I I just want to give that space uh, in our humanness. That makes sense to us, right? Like promises of God, we, we, we've, we've understood those promises, we've heard those promises, something really difficult and hard happens in life, and even though we have those promises, we're still feeling fear. That's where the disciples were. The space is also full of doubt. So you got a space full of fear, you got a space full of doubt. I say doubt because, remember, it seemed like not the testimony of, it seemed like nonsense to them. So you got all this doubt and you got all this fear in the room. And here's what I want you to pick up from this verse. In the midst of all that fear and all that doubt, Jesus came to them. He came to them. Just like we talked about last week in the road to Emmaus, those two disciples who, whose faces were downcast and they had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel and they're leaving loose, loss of hope, Jesus shows up. We talked last week about how Jesus follows us in those places. We see it in the text again this morning. Jesus shows up in the broken places. And his message is peace, peace I give to you. The very first word and the very first gift that the resurrected Jesus gives to his disciples is his peace or his shalom. Shalom is God's love. It's, the Hebrew word is uh, it's hesed. It's his unfailing love. It's his unconditional love. And it's manifest, the shalom of God is manifest in the mercy of his forgiveness and the grace of his favor. So what we see in this one verse is there's fear and there's doubt and Jesus comes to them. And he shows up in that place and his, we see that his gift and his word is peace to them. Here's what we don't see. There is, there's no correction here. There's no, there's no reminder of Jesus to the disciples of their failure to support him in his passion. They abandon him. There's no call for repentance for their fear and their doubt in that place. There is only grace and peace. His grace by his presence and the proclamation of his peace. Uh, Every letter from the Apostle Paul 
begins with a salutation and then a word from Paul to the church with either grace and peace to you from Jesus or grace, mercy, and peace to you. In this scene, we see it totally manifest by Jesus himself, his grace and his peace. Grace and peace driving away perhaps the guilt incurred by their flight at his arrest. Grace and peace bringing healing to their fear and perhaps some clarity, some real awesome clarity to their doubting. So he pronounces peace to them. Verse 20, and then right after Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. To which I go, man, wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome if YouTube was a thing in first century Palestine? And we had a, we had a YouTube clip of that scene. Really the only thing that I think that we could maybe possibly put in that place is when you like lose your mind at like a concert or like a sporting event. It's like really in my mind, like it's the only place that like adults like stop caring about what everybody around them thinks about what they're celebrating. I mean, maybe a T-Swift concert maybe, or like, I don't know, like Eric Church or, or uh, Chief, I got a Chef fan in the back here. Congratulations on your Super Bowl win again. But those things, right? <laughs> those things. And it's like, or like the athletes themselves. They lose themselves in joy. And there's part of me that go, what, what happened to us? Like, what do we, what keeps us? But what we see here is an absolutely ecstatic scene. Can you imagine? Three days prior, this is what Jesus told them. You have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. They were seeing with their own eyes the bodily risen Lord. He showed them his hands and his side. He gives them empirical, physical reason for his message, which is peace be with you. Here's some Greek for you about joy. The Greek root for joy is kara, and the Greek root for grace is charis. They share the same root, and they are intimately related to each other. In a, in a Greek-like linguistic way, joy and grace are intimately connected, but I think also emotionally, when the grace of the Lord shows up in that way, grace and joy just get connected, and they were overjoyed. The truth of the scene is this. The very much dead Jesus is now very much alive. The resurrection of Jesus has changed everything, and now anything is possible. Here's something that I shared with you week one. In all of the Gospels, when a person encounters Jesus, like the disciples are encountering Jesus in this particular scene, it is always followed with his mission. The encounter of his grace and peace is followed also in this scene with his 
mission. Again, verse 22 or 21, Jesus said, same phrase, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Now, before he gives them the, the, the mission, he gives them his grace and his peace. Here's the gift, and now the empowerment of that gift is I am sending you as my representatives. I am sending you as missionaries with a message of grace and peace. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm empowering you on the front end with my grace and peace. I'm giving you the mission, and now I am also reminding you again, you are also empowered with my very presence to go and proclaim the grace and the peace that we have in Jesus. The mission is empowered. This was not to be done in their own strength. The Holy Spirit is their helper, their guide, their counselor. They would certainly not be left alone. Three days prior, John chapter 16, Jesus told the disciples this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will take what is mine and he will make it known to you. Empowerment, empowerment, empowerment. We see this quick succession in these few verses. In this scene, on this particular Easter Sunday night, his presence, his peace, his body and evidence, his mission to go, his Holy Spirit in empowerment. Verse 23, to the disciples again, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Forgiveness is essential to the message of the grace and the peace and the freedom that we have in Jesus. Peace with God is possible is possible because of the free forgiveness by the cross of Calvary and the truth of his resurrection. And forgiveness from God and thereby peace, the reconciliation we have with God, the freedom that we have in Christ is, is the unmerited, the favor of God that Jesus grants to those who place their trust in him. We are the ones who have received the the abundance of his grace and his peace. And now we are sent as the ones to proclaim that grace and peace, to which I go, what, what a privilege. What a privilege for disciples to carry that privilege, but also that responsibility. The privilege is forgiveness is in Jesus. And the responsibility is if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What do we, what do, we do with that? How do, we, how do we hold the privilege and the responsibility? Like, I don't want to offend someone. I don't want to make someone feel like they're judged with the, the, the gospel presentation of if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I love Dale Bruner's commentary on the gospel of John. And he says these words, and I 
I love these words that he shares about this verse. We do not want to be preachers of hellfire and damnation. Understood? Respect it. But if we do not warn of unbelief, we disobey Jesus' full mandate here. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, my forgiveness. Here's what I would say. That's, this is what Del Bruner says. Here's what I would say. In the privilege and responsibility of being the sent ones, the missionaries, the representatives, the witnesses, we simply get to share the message. We simply get to say, like, I have no power to convince you. I just simply am convinced of the message that life is in Jesus. So we're not responsible, I am not responsible for anyone's response, period. But we do carry the privilege and responsibility to share the message of his grace and peace. Here's another thing I would say. You've heard me say this before. People, people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And the best way, I think, that we show people that we care is that we talk a little less and we listen and serve a little more. I think that wins a hearing with people about the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm not saying that we don't proclaim the message or speak the message to people about what we believe and why and why we have hope. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I'm just saying that I don't think speaking about what you believe on social media impacts anyone's life. I think it creates a further divide. And so perhaps to win a hearing, we could consider speaking a little less and caring and serving a little more. Thank you. We want to create a space here for people to know that they belong first. And we invite them to consider the truth of the grace and the peace of Jesus that have transformed our lives, even if they're still working that through and confused and there's brokenness and there's fear and there's doubt and there's confusion and there's brokenness there. Because of the resurrection, everything has changed and now all things are possible. You get to hear the resurrection story of my friend Sarah this morning. Would you welcome her to share her resurrection story? Deep breath. Okay, here I go again. I can do this. <laughs> so it was about four years ago 
when my resurrection story began. My second husband had just moved out and the many years of repressed feelings I had been holding inside all poured out of me. All the pain, all the heartbreak, all the feelings I didn't want to feel hit me like a huge wave and knocked me right down into a deep, dark pit. Growing up, I had never learned to express feelings in a healthy way. Instead, I learned to keep my peace by not being seen and not being heard. I numbed pain I experienced in my teen years by self-harm and a lot of drinking. I attempted to find my worth in men, work, kids, and so many other things. While in my first marriage, I detached from my emotions and shut down to escape the abuse. And I lived pretty much with the models of just don't think about it, and it's fine, everything is fine. And I had isolated myself from others a lot to help hide what was really going on inside. But for the first time, it was not fine and it was not okay. And I could no longer hide it. I could no longer hide it or hold it in. And I walked past. I walked past the empty rooms of my three kids and I was overcome with immense self-loathing and guilt and shame, knowing it was my decisions and my mistakes in life that were causing more heartbreak for them. I finally cried out for Jesus. It was really all I had left in me and I found him there in the darkness with me he held on to me so tight, and he caught every single tear I cried that night. For every single hurt, every single moment, I said I was okay, but I really wasn't. He had been there with me through it all, and I just couldn't see him or feel him while I was so numb to life and trying to survive on my own. He gave me a vision about my worth. Jesus showed me that he was the artist and I was his painted canvas, his beautifully and wonderfully made masterpiece. And then he showed me the layers upon layers of counterfeit painting I had painted over that masterpiece that made me feel so fake and so worthless. And then he helped me wash them off one by one to reveal the beauty that had always been there, my value had never diminished, and I had always been his priceless masterpiece. It was just hidden underneath all the lies I believed, all the things and people I tried to find my worth in, and all the identities I took on to protect myself. Knowing my worth in him was the first step to healing in so many other areas. Jason talked about fear and control. I was so fearful, and I was trying to control everything myself, and I had to surrender control to him. I slowly learned to trust him to protect my heart and allow feelings to flow in and out again. I had been so hardened by life 
and trying to keep the pain out, that it also kept so much joy and so much love out as well. That verse that says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is 100% what God did for me. And with him and the help of so many people God put in my life, many of you here today, that gave me a safe place to not be fine and showed me what it meant to carry each other's burdens. I found freedom from so many chains that were holding me down. I found forgiveness and I found hope. Hope for my future and for my kids Hope that a healthy relationship and a healthy marriage could actually exist. I am now engaged to that wonderful man over there who has had the patience of a saint and was so loving and encouraging while I went through all these chapters of my story. God's timing was perfect with him because I had to be ready for all that goodness. My resurrection story continues to be written and God knows I've cried out for him to just zap me, just zap me so many times through this process. And we wrestle a lot because I'm a tiny bit stubborn and very hard-headed. I still ride the struggle bus and I'm still healing. But he constantly reminds me of my worth and that he has my heart. And even though more pain will come, I don't have to carry it alone. I don't have to protect my peace. He is always there, and he is my peace. And we're writing this story together. Even today, right now, we're writing a chapter on confidence and finding my voice. So thank you all for giving me the space to practice that and being part of my resurrection story. Isn't it so sacred? Don't you, doesn't it feel like sacred to hold Sarah's story with her? Thank you. These are our resurrection stories. I'm gonna finish the rest of the story. Did I, oh, thank you. With, there was a, there was a disciple who wasn't there that first Easter Sunday night. We know Judas wasn't there. We know that from what happened at the Last Supper, right? Does anybody, Bible trivia? Who, there were 10 there. Who was the other disciple that wasn't there? Thomas. You like to call him what? Doubting Thomas. I like to call him authentic Thomas. I think he is really important for us. I was reading one commentary about Thomas's story. We don't know where he was. Where was Thomas? I don't know. He skipped church that day. And one of the commentators wrote, the single most inopportune missed church meeting in all of history. Right? Oh. But boy, do we need this story. Would you read along with me? Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Sarah. I literally can't read it without it. I'm 50. I'm 50 years old. 
I need these glasses. Now, Thomas was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, which is what you would expect them to do with their buddy, right? Now they are in cahoots with Mary Magdalene and the other women, and Thomas hasn't seen him yet, and so they are, they are, they are sharing the message that Jesus is alive. But Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. Do you think this frustrated the other 10? I mean, bro, literally, we were all there and we watched him eat, dude. And you're not, no, unless I see, I know, unless I see it. So that's just, that's just what it was. That's just what it was. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you. Even in your fear, even in your doubt, even when you are a church skipper, even when you're a knucklehead and you can't believe the testimony that Jesus is alive, surely Jesus follows all the way there? Yes, he does. His grace and peace will find you. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. He came to church. Good job, Thomas. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Did he come through the window? Have you ever thought about that? Did he just like, I don't know. I'm just asking, does that, do you, I just have those questions when I read these stories. Like, doors were all locked. Jesus just came. He was just there. He stood among them. And he said the same thing he said the week before, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. I just, I, I want us to understand and know that we have good company if in your faith you wrestle with doubt sometimes. Literally all 11 of the disciples of Jesus. I just think it's part of the journey of knowing God and following God and believing in what's ahead of us. And so I want to give it space, and I just want to invite us just to be, just to be in that. Are y'all with me right now? Like it's just, it's just part of the journey. But here's my encouragement in that. What if we, instead of doubting our beliefs, what if we doubted our doubts and believed our beliefs? Like, what if we're like, you know what? I'm going to doubt my doubts, and I'm going to believe my beliefs. Because that's what literally happened in this story. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have 
believed. Did Jesus show up and shame Thomas for missing church the previous Sunday? No, he did not. Does Jesus shame Thomas for struggling with his doubt? No. What does he do? He graciously offers his body and evidence to Thomas just like he did all the others. Rubbing your nose in your doubt, in your struggle of doubt, that is not grace and peace. Rubbing your nose in your missed church meeting is not grace and peace. Grace and peace is Jesus showing up again and again and again and again. His presence, his peace, his body and evidence and his invitation to you and me, stop doubting and believe. In our passage today, three times Jesus says, peace be with you. And five times in our passage today, you will see the word believe. Believe. I love, I love Thomas's authenticity. I love his need for a real encounter. I believe that this story serves us very well because it's also what we all deeply desire and need so that we might say, my Lord and my God. And John closes the chapter this way. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. What? There's like, there's like, there's more. I mean, this is life. This is the revelation that we have that God has given to us. But Jesus did more signs, more wonders in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, John says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Here's the message of John. Life is in Jesus. Believe. Believe. To which I go, like, okay, like, but what does that mean? What does that mean? No longer the abysmal fear of death because death has been defeated. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Believe your beliefs, church. Believe your beliefs. Stop doubting and believe. No longer the weight of guilt and shame forever lifted by our total forgiveness by the cross of Calvary for freedom Christ has set you free. Believe your beliefs. No longer the futile quest of the, of the world's gods and idols. If you belong to Christ, you are heirs according to the promise. Believe your beliefs. The beauty of our new identity, our purpose, and our calling as the sent ones with a message of grace and peace. Peace be with you now, here now, now, peace be with all of you. And as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am also sending you now.
today. Worship team, you can come back. New life, blessed life, abundant life, eternal life, life in his name, life in his grace and his peace. Because of the resurrection, everything has changed. All things are now possible. These are the resurrection stories. Stop doubting and believe. Lord, we believe. Help us, help us with our unbelief. Give us, Jesus, I pray, real encounters with your presence, with your peace, with your resurrection, with the truth that we are the sent ones and that we are empowered by your Holy Spirit. The mission is the message of Jesus, the grace and the peace we have in Jesus. And the message is the mission. Thank you for coming for all of us. We are, we are blessed indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.